We, um, I mean, we really focused, like we said this morning in Hebrews 12, at five, on 5 through 11. Um, I had intentions to, to speak to some things in 12 through 17, but didn't really get to there and was rushing for the sake of time and just a lot. There's a lot to talk about and think about when it comes to this topic. Um, and so I wanted to slow down a little bit and focus on verse 11, uh, really, just verse 11. And we sort of made conversation about it and then made a couple points about the, the, the difficulty of God's discipline towards his children um, and that there's pain. But what I wanted to look at tonight is why it's painful. Okay, why it's painful. And more than likely, this is the um, the most general answer to this question, why discipline's painful uh, for the moment. And there could be a lot of other things to help us think about it, of, of what brings this pain and, and discipline from the Lord. Um, but there's one I just wanted to focus on today. Um, so look what he says in 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Okay, so just think about this for a second. He's saying all discipline. Now, that's all discipline. Whether it's big, small, long, short, the suggestion is is that it hurts. Okay? It hurts. For the moment... In this potential season, day, or I would even say life. I think moment could consist in this idea that that you could experience that pain for your entire life. Um, But then the point being is that it ends. The pain ends. Um, and it, it and it yields something. It brings about fruit, like like a like a um, like a sown seed. There's fruit that comes out of a sown seed, and there's fruit that comes from God's discipline. Uh, and if we had to give it one word, it was we we looked at it pretty directly and that's holiness in in its most general sense but he gives a he gives sort of a different perspective on it in his terms he says but later it yields so there's that fruit okay it yields it that's the harvest the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it trained by the discipline of god okay so there's one thing I didn't say this morning, and I so wish I would have said it this morning, but I didn't. And to give sort of this def—I don't want to call it a definition, but if you wanted to think, okay, what's holiness look like? What does it look like? If someone said, well, 
someone asks you about your walk with Christ and you're like, I'm pursuing holiness, and they'll say, well, what is that? Well, I mean, we could probably give a bunch of different good answers. But one that struck me this week was holiness is loving what God loves and hating what God hates. Loving what God loves and hating what God hates. And so I would say at the most basic sense, you could say loving his son and hating your sin. And we could fill in many more things of what God loves and what God hates. But I, I think to the to a very basic understanding of trying to express what it means to be holy as God is holy. It's to love what he loves and hate what he hates. But we have to make sure that when we talk about hating sin, especially in the context of discipline, is that it begins with our own sin. Right, because in the context of discipline, that's what the Lord is trying to purify us of our sin. And so you have a conversation with somebody and you say that and they say, Well, what is holiness? And you say, Well, I, I love I love Jesus and I hate sin. And they might think of it as, Oh yeah, you hate homosexuals, or oh yeah, you hate drunks or whatever. And you could just basically be like no, I hate my sin. I I hate the sin that's that's in me. Um, it starts it starts with me. Okay, so why is discipline painful? Um, and again, I think it's directed to this idea of holiness, because with holiness we are trying to cleanse ourselves. Um, and we use the analogy this morning of the fire and the, and, the, and the gold or any metal, really. And that's a really good analogy. But I think uh, what gets – and fire hurts. I mean, so it, it connects there as well. But I think if we were to really look at Scripture, the reason why – this discipline from the Lord hurts. Why ultimately growing in holiness would be painful is because we're we're killing part of ourself. Like literally, we're killing our flesh and the deeds of the body. There's two verses, and we were in Romans 8 this morning, and it's in Romans 8, and it's connected to everything that we said. So let's start at Romans 8, verse 13. We we you know we, we want to remember that this verse that Paul isn't using this verse just to be sweet in his speech and eloquent and use great um, analogies, but he really means what he's saying here. Romans eight thirteen. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now you gotta keep in mind, he's just he just told that to a church, right? He didn't tell that to the pagans down worshiping whatever false god. He told that to the people in the church at Rome. 
if you live according to the flesh, you will die. So just because you're you're in the church doesn't mean that you're uh, filled with the Spirit, a son or daughter of God, filled with the Spirit of adoption. So, but look what he says. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So if we're if we're convinced that God's discipline towards us is for the sake of holiness, which it ever ever clear ever so clear in Hebrews 12, it is. Then it hurts because in it we're killing part of our flesh. We're putting to death the deeds of the body. Colossians 3 uh, also testifies to this. Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And it's violent. It's not, it's not cute. It's not Sunday school banner material right this is this is a war there's a war waging in us in the pursuit of holiness and it's 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 killing things it's killing sin put to death therefore what is earthly in you um so if we don't see ourselves as a mm, – let me make sure I say this the right way. I'll just read what I wrote. We must rightly understand our condition. Um, now, what I wrote doesn't make sense either. We must understand that our human condition, our sinful nature, is so dangerous, so deadly, that we have to kill it or it will kill us. All right? Why would Paul use such drastic language if our sinfulness was not such a drastic problem? And I... Th- I, I think we have to make sure no, – I don't think. I know that we have – we can't – I know I'm preaching to the choir, but what does Hebrews 3 says? It says that sin is deceitful. It's tricky. And we can't forget how deadly our flesh is, our sin is. We are born sinful. But look, I get, well, if we read the rest of verse 5, we see how deadly it is. Because verse 5, 6, and 7 tell me and you what you're capable of. Okay, this isn't the bad people. This is what we're all capable of in our flesh. 
that we have to kill. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Here it goes. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. I mean, that, that, that again, nails down the danger of what is in us, in our sinful nature. That, that God is coming in his wrath. Um, again, okay, verse 7 again tells us what comes natural to our flesh. In this you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. What were they? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Now, here, here's the beauty that I want y'all not to forget. So it says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. He could leave us like this. And not just leave us in this condition, but then condemn us for being like this. But what we've noticed in Hebrews 12, well, in 10, 11, 12, is that he's actually not just forgiven us for being this, but even more so, he's helping us to transform away from this. He's actively, this is what fatherly, godly discipline is. He's actively, intentionally helping us not be like what we see in verse 5, 6, and 7. And if he left us alone, this is what we would go back to, right? And so that, again, is the privilege of being adopted into the family of God, is that he does not leave us or forsake us, which, I mean, we, we run into that in Hebrews 13. But it's so true. Um, how, what does he say, what does he say in Romans 8? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so when we when we meditate on what we were, what God has done for us in Christ and what he is still doing, he's still doing this. He's still disciplining us. Training us to keep us to falling back into the ways we once were. Because if he if he pulled his hand back, we just go right back. Um, but the other thing that he's done, and this is again going back to adoption, is is by giving us his spirit. It's like. You know, uh, what's the tri- AAA? It's 24-7. You, know, you you got a flat tire, AAA, you call them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm, I'm not likening the Spirit of God to AAA. But the point being is that it isn't a, it, he has given us himself to always have this help, to always have, uh, to always be, um, moving and pursuing holiness. 
And uh, I keep, I keep. That's why Romans eight is called the Great Eight. It's because it's. I think it's the greatest chapter in the Bible. Because what is what is helping us here? For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. And how do we put to death the deeds of the body? By the Spirit. And and because of the Spirit, we're not in fear, but we're we're in this spirit of adoption in whom we cry, Abba, Father. Right? Who is lovingly disciplining us. I'm probably getting ahead of myself here, but if you're still in Romans 8... We're going to go look back again to that last verse in 17, or the last verse of that section. Now, I very much think that the suffering that's referred to in Romans 8:17 is the suffering of putting to death the deeds of the body. The pain that goes along with Living like Jesus, which is self-denial, which is um, taking up your cross. Right. Do you not think that as he walked this earth and denied himself the, the pleasures and passions that we so easily succumb to, that that wasn't difficult? It was difficult. He he. He identifies with our weaknesses, yet without sin. Right, and then you move past that—not not just those phys- sort of physical weaknesses, but Jesus in denying, overthrowing Israel or the Roman government. I mean, even that, even that simple temptation, or the temptations that he uh, faced with Satan in the wilderness. When you deny. Those sort of temptations, there is a there is a degree of suffering because it is within you that desires those things, right? You want to to lust after the passions of your flesh. You want to, in your natural self. And so to to pick up your cross is is to to crucify that old self and deny it. And deny it. That's why people. That's why people think living the life is so much fun and pleasurable. They are. They are. They are. Uh, they are not. They are not suffering in the sense that they're denying their desires. I hope that makes sense, because I think that's the only way that we end up as being able to be glorified with Jesus. Is as we walk the earth in self-denial and putting dead, putting to death the deeds of the body, putting to death the earthly things in us, and suffering as he suffered as he walked on this earth. Now, let me give you some concrete. I'll give you two concrete examples. Okay. Uh, maybe I should say this first. Okay. Let's understand that our sin could be performed in two different ways. Omission and commission. Okay? Let me make sure you understand what that means. You can sin by doing something you're not supposed to do. Okay? 
You can also sin by not doing what you know you're supposed to do. Now, um, I've got three examples, and I'm going to use this first one. Um, and I've changed the names of the parties involved so no one will know who I'm talking about. A drunk driver hits you. <laughs> but no, but seriously, think about the sins. Think about the sins of omission and commission and think, okay, think about the discipline of, of God to, to, to purify uh, the parties involved. Okay? You've got... Uh, a person who has an issue with alcohol. And they get behind the wheel and they they almost kill somebody. They wreck someone's life. They wreck their life. And you think, okay, and they're a professing Christian. And you think, well, how how could God discipline that person? To bring them into sharing his holiness. Well, I think that's an easy one, right? You, God would take that circumstance and hopefully teach that person that who, who struggles with alcohol, teach them from that circumstance and that situation, that pain of whatever... Losing their license, losing their job, losing their career, losing their spouse, perhaps even killing somebody. And using that instance to turn them away from alcohol and to Christ. That very much could happen. But then you think about it. So that would be someone who is living in a sin, unrepentant sin of uh, commission. They're doing something wrong. Now think about it from the sense of... The victim. Okay? This is when it gets harder. Because our assumption is they don't deserve what happened to them. Nothing good can come from something like that happening to somebody, getting hit by a drunk driver. But that, but what, what we could think about is, well, could God use something so terrible as getting hit by a drunk driver to... Discipline a child of God to share more in his holiness? I think we all know the answer is yes. Because that person could get in the car that day. And I think we could probably all could um, relate to this. Do you get in the car and think about that you depend on the Lord to get from point A to point B? Do you think about the fact that the only thing that keeps you safe on that road is the sovereign providence of God. And that you must trust in him as you do anything. Well, I think somebody who might be dealing with pride and not not having the mindset in James, what is it, four? That we're just a mist and that we're not going to be prideful of saying, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to go do that, and I'm going to go do this. Well, you might go do this and get hit by a drunk driver. So even, even a victim who is in a sin of omission, of not, of, of, of not trusting in the Lord, right? That he could use even something 
in that circumstance and situation to wake them up, to purge them of their sin of pride and of bringing them into trust in the Lord throughout the areas of their life. So I, I, I hope that was helpful. Um, here's another example of potential discipline. Chronic sickness or pain. Chronic sickness or pain. Now, I'm not, I'm not too worried about y'all and the TV preachers, but I, I saw a, I saw a tweet the other day, and it said I put the parental lock on my mom's TBN channel, and she called me because she couldn't listen to Joe Osteen anymore, and she goes, "This is how we save America." <laughs> and so, but the but my point was. Is that we can't let, we can't even let, you got to watch ourselves and, and our tendencies of saying, well, if you just believed harder, you know, that chronic disease or pain might go away. If you had more faith in God, then he would engage you and heal you. Well, he didn't do that to Paul, right? Paul had that thorn and you got... You think you can muster up more faith than Paul? And so we can't. We first can't let um, that mindset come to us that just because we're in pain means, well, if we were more faithful, we would be out of pain. It, God doesn't work that way. The Bible doesn't teach that. That's just not. That's just not what we what we know to be true. Now. Um, Well, I was going to read that that section with Paul and the thorn in the flesh, and so, and I'm not going to make any comments. I just want us to see see that. Say it's in Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Just well, let's read this and just notice that God's name is used, Satan's name is used, um, as an actor. A player in Paul's Paul's thorn, but ultimately, who does he know has the sovereign control over whatever his thorn is? Second Corinthians twelve. Now, if you just go into chapter twelve, verse one, you might be a little confused because he says, "I must go on boasting." But you have to understand the context of the letter that he's actually been um, accused by other false apostles, fake apostles, super apostles, or whatever, uh, trying to deceive the Corinthians that Paul isn't uh, a, a good apostle. Anyway, he's going through an argument, and he says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man, so he's going to tell a story about something he could boast in to show them you know, how, how, uh, how connected he is to, to, to the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Now, let me just also say this as we're talking about false teachers. Um, 
if you see a book, a movie, or an advertisement that someone said they went to heaven, saw Jesus, came back, and wrote a book about it to tell everybody, Paul wouldn't even do that. So why do we think anybody else would? Like if Paul was unwilling to speak about heavenly things, then let's not buy any books by people who said that they went to heaven and saw Jesus. Okay? Let's just be careful about that. Because he says... Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that he can, that cannot be told. Man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will boast. I will not boast except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it. So that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming deceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's why the Lord sent the thorn in the flesh. Verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Paul learned a great deal from that thorn in the flesh. Okay. We looked at Turkey and the Kurds. You know, one of the biggest problems Muslims have with Jesus and Christianity is that they see Jesus and Christians as weak. Um, they can't. They they rightly claim, they rightly claim that God is powerful, all powerful. So they cannot comprehend a crucified Son of God. It doesn't make sense to them. These sorts of verses, when I am weak, then I am strong, they, they, they despise those sort of teachings. Um, or when Paul, what does Paul say to Timothy? Um, I wrote it down thinking I could quote it, and then I just can't quote it. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. To a Muslim, that's nonsense. They think that in their in their pursuit of God, no one can harm them or stop them or hurt them because they are empowered. Um, but we understand that we suffer because our Lord suffered. As a, and Paul, Paul, after being stoned. It, um, Paul tells the the disciples, the uh, the followers, that this is how we must enter into the kingdom of heaven 
through persecution. This is how it happens. Um, Pain, suffering, trial. Uh, Because all of this is a testing, a purification, a a making us more like how that song ended today. Yes, this morning. Uh, These inward trials I implore from self and pride to set thee free. So the trials that y'all are y'all are facing is is actually God's actually freeing you from the sin that you struggle with as you face it in obedience and faith. Pride, selfishness, lust. Name the list. Right? That's 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 what God is doing to his children and disciplining them. And see and we have to lean against it. We have to lean into it. We got to go with the turn, right? We can't try to fight it, because when we fight it, we're fighting against the will of God. Um, it's just like Jesus said: "You're gonna follow me. You gotta take up your cross. You gotta be ready." Um, Romans, again, 8, 13 through 17. If you want to be glorified with me, you must be willing to suffer with me. And it's just, it's undeniable in Hebrews 12 and other areas that our suffering, we do not give the, the, we do not give Satan credit for our suffering, but we understand that the Lord is working and doing something in us. The Lord knows your weakness. He knows where you will stumble. He knows where you need to grow. He knows how you need to grow. He knows what sin that you're struggling with that no one else knows. Not even your closest relationship. So don't be surprised when you get put in a situation where... You get pressed in that sin, whether it's commission or omission, whether you're doing something wrong or you're not doing something you should be doing. Um, You know, we go back to the thought of would God literally cause a drunk driver to hit a Christian to help teach them faith, to, to, to purge them of pride? I would say if we ask that question, then again, we don't understand how bad and dangerous pride is, right? We, we have to take – it's just like John Owen says. You kill sin or it kills you. It's one of the two. Even pride. Even pride. And so the Lord, the Lord works in mysterious ways to bring about – that which we need. Man, I've got so much more written down and I was not expecting all of this. Just look at the, the go back to Hebrews 12 and I'll just, let's just again look at the last bit of verse 11. And then we'll, I'll, I'll finish. Lean into the pain, basically, is what we need to think about the beginning of verse 11. 
because we understand that the pain will end. The suffering will end. And you're like, well, I don't want to suffer. But we're talking about eternity here. Just like 2 Corinthians chapter, what is it, 3 or 4? A momentary light affliction for an eternal weight of glory. Lean into the pain. Trust the Lord. And He will bring peace. Peace. And our thoughts are, well, when does the peace come? Because this isn't fun. You don't know the truth? I don't know. And you don't know. It might not come until you see Jesus. But we we know, we can know for sure that verse 11 is a promise. Like y'all can memorize verse 11 and realize and an understanding that it is a promise. When you're struggling with something, when you think when you think that there is a lesson to be learned and there always is when there's growth to be had, but it hurts, don't forget that while for a moment it hurts, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is a promise. This is a promise. Now, I'll just I'll finish this. The last thing you got to remember, when you're struggling, when you're suffering, when you're feeling the heat of the flames, think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because they literally felt the flames. But who felt it with them? One like the Son of God's. Right? Uh, no. That's the KJV says God. ESV and NASB say God's. Lowercase g. Because it's, it's Nebuchadnezzar. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Exactly. He does not know what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but that is true. One would say that the Son of God was with those three as they were in the flames. Same thing for us. Same thing we have to remember. When you're in the flames, the heat is up. The Lord is wanting to purge you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You will not go through the flames without Christ. It's a promise. And so, kind of take it back to where we were in Sunday school class. If you don't know him, then you're not going to, you're just going to be there by yourself. It's going to be real hot and hurt. Only when you have Christ can you experience joy when the heat goes up. Just like James 1 says, count it all joy, my, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Because the Lord's doing something to you for the sake of your eternal good. Alright, I think that closes the book on discipline. I see the time, Layla, thank you. Let's pray. Lord, would you remind us this week uh, that you desire, that you will to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ. And so when we're getting frustrated at work, remind us. When we're getting impatient at home, remind us.
when we feel like not getting out of bed, remind us of your fatherly love towards us that you have poured out in our hearts. Because you care for us. So bless your word. And anchor us. To him which does not move. Our Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, y'all have a good week. We're dismissed this evening.